John chapter 14, uh, John's Gospel chapter 14. I, I'm a little nervous this morning. I might get controversial. Um, and I'm not wanting to be controversial for the sake of being controversial, but I, I want to challenge you when it comes to your faith. Let's see how we go. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that the disciples were assembled together with Jesus. And he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. I just read the passage in John 14. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. All you need to worry about is this, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We sang a song last Sunday and it was quite a moving moment in the service and I really felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to move um, and I believe with all my heart that he is still wanting to move and do something fresh and something new in the heart and soul of this house. But we sang a song last Sunday that says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. And as we sang that song and as I was hosting in the middle of that song, I, I felt the presence of God come. I sensed his hand upon not only me, but upon you. And I... I have this strong sense the Holy Spirit is going to breathe something fresh in coming days upon this church. But this week, as I was reflecting back on that moment in our last Sunday morning service, I felt a conviction in my heart when it comes to my motivation behind singing that song. Why do I want the Holy Spirit in my life? felt the Holy Spirit challenge me and I, I stopped, I was meditating, it was Monday, I was at home on my own and I was just reading the word and, and I felt him say to me, why do you want me in your life? Why do you want my presence in your life? Why, why do you want me to come in like a flood and fill the atmosphere with my presence? Why do you at certain even regular times throughout your journey in life, why, why do you look for the Spirit of God to touch you? Why do you look for the Spirit of God to embrace you? Why do you, 
look for the Spirit of God to fill me, to strengthen me, to comfort me, to empower me? Why? why? And I, I was confronted with this question, why do I want the Holy Spirit? Why do I want His presence? Why do I want His anointing? Why do I want His embrace around my heart, my mind, my emotions, my soul? Why, why do I want the Holy Spirit? I, I like many of you, have have experienced the pains and the pressures of life. I've been around long enough to have gone through some things. I, like many of you, have suffered losses in my life, both, both emotional losses and physical losses. And I've been through some storms. I've been through some dark times. I've been through some valleys in my life, in my 59 years next month. No, the month after, I've still got a bit to go. I'm not as old as I thought I was. In my 59 years of life, I've, I've felt some pain. I've experienced things that have deeply wounded me. I've experienced things that have, have you know, pushed me uh, to the brink of even struggling with suicidal thoughts. And, and I've battled depression and I've battled anxiety and I've, I've had to walk the journey of medication for those things. And I have felt the pains and the strengths of life, but I've been bruised, I've been wounded, and at times I have felt incredibly perplexed in the words of the Apostle Paul. I've been perplexed as to some of the experiences that I've had, experiences that have often launched an assault on my mind with some very negative thoughts and perspectives about life. And in the middle of those times, in the middle of those valleys, those challenging seasons, those experiences that I've had, I've found myself praying and asking God and seeking and saying things like, I feel so flat. I feel so deflated. I I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. In those valleys, those times of emotional impact upon my life that I've, I've been through, I've found myself feeling discouraged I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. Where are you, Lord? Has been a common prayer. Where, where is your presence, God? Where is your hand? Where is your anointing that you said abides within me and lives within me? God, I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this place. Flood this place. Fill the atmosphere with your presence. I, I, I've had times where I felt so disappointed, disappointed in life, in circumstances, in people, in situations that didn't work out the way I'd hoped. And, and at times I have sunk into places of depression where I've just cried out, God, I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh outpouring, something fresh from heaven to fill my soul, my heart, my emotions. There's times I've felt devalued in life. There's times I've felt inferior in life. There's times I've felt very lonely in life and I've cried out, I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I need your presence. I need your hand upon my life. I've felt betrayed. I've felt abandoned. I've felt misunderstood. And I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. And God, being the compassionate and merciful God that he is, has so often come through with his presence. 
God has so often come through and has heard my cry. And in those moments, the, the person of the Holy Spirit has, has touched me, has strengthened me, has empowered me, has lifted me, has exalted me, has, has taken my, my depression and turned it into a sense of joy in some miracle. I've experienced those times, those seasons where I felt so flat, but yet God has just come in and lifted me up. You know, the person of the Holy Spirit has been to me, especially in my journey in church leadership, the person of the Holy Spirit has been to me a very, very present help, has been a tremendous support. He's been a protector. And I could write a book about the moments, the, the encounters, the experiences where I have seen God go before me and, and warn me and equip me and prepare me for things that would have come out of left field had he not gone there and covered for me and prepared the way for me. I, I in my journey as a church leader, found, I found him to be a great guide. I've found him to be a tremendous shield, a comforter, a, a, an encourager, a companion and a friend. And in the words of Psalm chapter 3 and verse 3, You, O Lord, are a shield to me. You're my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I thank God for the Holy Spirit. But this week I felt a conviction. Why do I want the Holy Spirit in my life? Because if I was to be truly honest, honest with, with you, honest even with, with God, I don't believe I have ever fully experienced the true purpose and the full purpose of the Holy Spirit in my life. As much as I've enjoyed those moments where his presence has come and his comfort has been there and his hand of embrace has been tangibly felt upon my life in those low moments where he has literally been my glory and the one who lifts up my head, I don't believe I've ever experienced the full and true purpose of the Holy Spirit in my life. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power, authority, Strength, ability, boldness, tenacity, backbone, resilience, resource. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And as a result of that power, you shall be witnesses to me. Witnesses to the truth, witnesses to the way, witnesses to the life. You shall be able to stand up and testify of the good things that God will do and can do if we just open our heart to him. You will be a witness to me and all that I represent. You will be my ambassador. You'll be my representative. You will be a role model. You will be an illustration. You'll be a reflection of who I am to this broken and hurting world. That's the true purpose of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to make me feel good when I'm down. It's to equip me to be able to reach this broken world and connect them with a Savior who can restore and heal. I am empowered not so that I can get through life and say I've made it to the other side, but I am empowered so that I can take a whole heap of people with me. You shall receive power, the full and true purpose of being drenched, immersed, touched by the Spirit of God is to equip and empower me. Not just to get through life, but to bring people to life, 
to be an instrument, a, a, a channel, a conduit of his divine power and strength to everybody else around me. And in the process, to enable me to readily bounce back whenever I'm knocked down in doing that. It's to enable me to be able to bounce back whenever I have been wounded in doing that. Whenever I have been bruised in the process or rejected in the process or betrayed in the process or abandoned in the process, the Holy Spirit will empower me to bounce back so that I can keep moving forward to fulfill the purpose that he has called me to, which is to reach this broken world. The Holy Spirit is not just to make me feel good. The Holy Spirit is to equip me to extend the kingdom of God and be his hands and feet to a broken world that desperately needs him. Paul and Barnabas were in the city of Lystra. And uh, Paul ministers to a crippled man. The Bible tells us that he had been crippled since birth and had never had the experience of walking on his own two feet. He didn't become a cripple. He didn't start out having a taste of what it was to be able to use your own pens to go from A to B. He had never had the experience of being able to stand and walk on his own two feet. He'd been crippled from birth. And Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, ministers to this man and he walks for the first time. I wonder what kind of experience that was for him. I wonder if he had trouble with his balance because when kids learn to walk, they fall over all the time. This guy had never walked. He'd never had the experience of, of, of walking from A to B. I, I, just, I, I think it would have been a fascinating thing to have been a fly on the wall watching that happen. But such was the impact of this miracle, this healing, this restoring flow of God's power. The crowds were so impressed. You've got to remember, they're all unsaved. He's holding a rally amongst the unchurched people who desperately need Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit is on Paul to demonstrate that Jesus is real, heals the crippled man as the demonstration. But these guys immediately decide that Paul and Barnabas are gods in human form. And they rush and they get goats and cattle and, and lambs and what have you. And they're going to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And they bring wreaths of flowers to honor and exalt Paul and Barnabas and to lay them as offerings at their feet. And Paul, he, he says, stop. And he begins to very carefully steer their eyes back to Jesus because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not about getting healed. It's about meeting the healer. It's not about getting restored. It's about meeting the restorer. And we've got to turn people back to Jesus. And Paul very quickly shifts the focus, shuts down their endeavors and gets them to see Jesus was the one who healed the crippled man. Jesus is the one we represent. Jesus is the one whose power flowed today. It's not us. It's Jesus. But then religious Jews arrive on the scene. It's a fascinating story. And they very, very quickly turn the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. People are so fickle. One minute they're exalting them as gods. Next minute they want to crucify them. But the interesting thing is that the crowd turns on them. And this is what happens. We pick up the story in Acts 14 verse 19. Some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul. They stoned Paul. And it wasn't with marijuana. 
They stoned him. Think about that for a moment. That's a brutal, brutal form of execution. They stoned him and then they dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. They didn't just throw a few rocks at him. They pulverized him to the point where they actually thought the job's done. He's dead. I wonder what he looked like. I wonder what mess his face was in. I wonder how much blood was running out of his scalp. I, I, it, it, was a, it was a brutal situation. They stoned him and, and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. Who does that? The last time I was stoned, I didn't get up and go back into town to the people who just stoned me. I think I'd have gone on and never gone back again. But he gets up and he goes back into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, where he had been stoned. He returned to Iconium, he returned to Antioch, he returned to Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. And watch this, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit is to empower us to go through some stuff this side of eternity. The Holy Spirit is to strengthen us and enable us to be able to suffer well. To be able to face the storm and go through the storm and keep our heart right and our spirit sweet and our mind focused. You know, I was thinking the prayer line this morning as we were praying for people who are struggling. We, we will often include in our prayer those that are physically unwell, those that are mentally unwell, those that are emotionally unwell. I, I'm beginning to wonder whether the answer for mental and emotional Unwellness is not a prayer line, but it's fixing our mind on him because he will keep in perfect peace the mind that is focused on him. Thank you for that underwhelming support. One person. When we think about this, we talk about physical healing, but we often come to the front for physical healing for things that we have brutally self-inflicted upon ourselves as a result of our diet, our lack of exercise, the kind of lifestyle we live, our lack of sleep, pushing and burning the candle at both ends. And then we say, God, I need divine healing. He's saying, look after the temple and you won't get sick in the first place. So I wonder whether the answer to mental and emotional instability is not so much, I just need the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to underestimate the power of mental health. I'm a very strong advocate. I, uh, our men's dinners each year are focused on men and mental health. But, but I, I think as Christians who have the truth, Christians who know the truth, if you're struggling mentally and emotionally, the Bible says he will keep in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Perfect peace. That's mental stability. That's emotional strength. When there's perfect peace in my life, I'm not anxious. When there's perfect peace in my life, I'm not downcast or struggling with my emotions. He will keep in perfect peace. His mind is stayed 
on him. We, we have the Holy Spirit to enable us to go through stuff, to, to weather storms, to, to face difficult situations. And I, I think if I was Paul and I got dragged out onto Beaumont Street and stoned, my first reaction would be, God, I didn't sign up for this. I'm trying to help people and now they want to kill me. So, but we need the Holy Spirit to empower us and strengthen us to go through some stuff, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I think one of the things lacking in the Pentecostal church today is a theology of suffering. We think when we're suffering, it's because we lack faith. We think when we're struggling with, with, with some kind of oppressive thing, it's because we lack faith. It's because we're not close enough to God. It's because we're not standing on the word. It's because we're not quoting enough scripture. Because, you know, if we quoted enough scripture, God would come through and I wouldn't suffer. And I wouldn't be sick. And I wouldn't struggle. And I wouldn't have so many dilemmas happening in my life. No, we need a theology on suffering and the purpose of suffering. I'm not so convinced, and I'm going to say something very controversial here. I am a Pentecostal pastor. I believe in divine healing. I say that from the very outset. But I know an awful lot of people who have never been healed. I know an awful lot of people who have prayed and have been prayed for, have been anointed with oil, have gone year in and year out and have never actually been healed. I am not so convinced at this point in my journey of faith that it's God's ultimate plan to relieve us of every dilemma, ailment, oppression, even sickness, this side of eternity. That's controversial what I just said. I'm not so convinced that it's God's ultimate plan to deliver us even from every kind of sickness, this kind of eternity. I, I wonder if Paul's thorn in the flesh that he spoke of in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The thorn in the flesh, watch this. The thorn in the flesh that enabled him to experience, the thorn in the flesh that enabled him to experience a greater measure of God's enabling grace that he would never have experienced if God had just instantly healed him. So, oh, how do you know he was sick? Oh, I think it was just a demonic presence that just hounded his life. Well, it might have been. But I wonder whether his thorn in the flesh was actually his eyesight. I wonder whether it was poor eyesight. Let me show you where I, where I get that from. Galatians chapter 4, verse 14. And my trial, Paul says to the Galatian church, my trial, which was in my flesh, thorn in the flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. When then was the blessing you enjoyed? What then was the blessing you enjoyed? Watch this. For I bear you witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. None of us can prove whether it was eyesight, whether it was a demonic thing. None, none of us know. But I read something like that and I think, I wonder whether Paul's thorn in the flesh was poor eyesight. My trial which was in my flesh, but I bear you witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. If anyone moved in faith and if anyone moved in the power of the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, it was Paul. 
You study that man's life, his missionary journey. He was an evangelist. He was an apostle. He was a preacher. He was a guy that that laid hands on the sick and saw them healed. He was a guy that cast out demonic presences. He he was a guy that, that put people back on the right path in their relationship with God. If anyone moved in faith, he did. If it's God's plan, though, to heal us of every infirmity, every ailment, pain or difficulty, let me ask you this question. Why did Paul leave his friend Trophimus sick in Miletus? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onsiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Why didn't he heal him? I know this is controversial, but I believe in divine healing. I've seen divine healing. I've only ever seen one major miracle. I've heard of people being healed. Got a headache, the headache's gone. Well, I can't see that. I've only got to trust your word for that. But I knew a young girl many, many years ago who had a, was blind in one eye. And, and it was a deformed eye. Her eyeball, her right eye looked straight ahead. The left eye was looked out that way. And it was always in that outward focused position. It was while I was in Bible college I saw this. And uh, she had a, a growth right in the pupil and it, it stuck out. It was so prominent. It completely detracted from her appearance. When you looked at her, it's all you could see. It was very hard not to look at that growth. She went to a prayer line one night. She was in a youth group. Margot and I were leading in Parramatta. She went to a prayer line. It was a healing prayer line. And the preacher prayed for people to be healed. When she got up off the floor, her eye was completely healed. I saw that. I looked at her. I couldn't stop looking at her. I was holding her cheeks. I'm looking into her eyes. The eye that was deformed was looking straight ahead. It was crystal clear. The growth was gone. She covered up the right eye. How many fingers am I holding up? She answered every question. It was an absolute... I believe in divine healing. I believe in divine healing. But I'm not convinced it's the ultimate purpose of God that everybody... I know this is controversial and I'm nervous. Believe me, I'm nervous. Why did Paul tell Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake, Timothy, and your frequent ailments? Why didn't he say, Timothy, come on, we've got to pray. Got to get you healed. We need to anoint you with oil and get you healed. I say again, I believe in divine healing. But there are a lot of people who aren't healed. And I'm not convinced it's because of a lack of faith. Very quiet in the room. 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Why don't we just get Timothy healed, Paul? We need a theology of suffering, not a flaky misrepresentation of Scripture. Quoting some passages very out of context. I want to be careful how I say this because Caleb just used this scripture around the healing line and I believe what he said to be true. But we so often as Pentecostals will quickly say, you're sick, by his stripes you're healed. You're unwell, by his stripes you're healed. You're suffering, by his stripes you're healed. You've got a disease, by his stripes you're healed. I believe that to a certain extent, but, but saying it like that is taking that scripture completely out of context. 
What that passage in 1 Peter chapter 24 is talking about, it's not talking about physical conditions. It's talking about our spiritual destiny. That passage in 1 Peter, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was threatened, he did not threaten in return, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. He, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. It's talking about the healing of our relationship with God. That's the context. But I do believe it encompasses the whole person. So don't get me wrong. I believe in divine healing. I've seen it. I've experienced it. But not everybody gets healed that we pray for. Over the years, I've seen people go to their grave believing for a healing and it never happened. But ultimately, they were healed in their relationship with God. And ultimately, they stepped from this life into the next because that relationship had been healed. Is this okay? Are you sure you're okay? You're not going to drag me out and stone me and leave me for dead? Because I'm not sure that I'll get up and come back in, okay? So Paul could get up after being left for dead on the side of the road, bruised, battered, sore, and stiff, and go back to what he was called to do because of the indwelling, enabling power of the Holy Spirit. I feel flat. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I feel deflated. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I feel discouraged. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I feel betrayed. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I feel misrepresented. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I, need, I feel lonely. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I wonder if heaven would actually open far wider if our approach wasn't that, but the Holy Spirit would flood in and saturate every part of our life if our approach was more, I feel burdened for my unsaved neighbor. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I, I feel compassion for the broken people in our city. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I feel the pain of the sick and the dying around me and the struggles they go through, the people who don't know Jesus. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I feel burdened by the carnality and the division that so often sabotages God's church. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I feel ashamed of my self-centered ambitions. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I wonder if that was our motivation. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere because I have a burden for your kingdom to be enlarged and expanded. I wonder if heaven would open far wider. And I honestly believe at that point, I am fully convinced, like Paul says, I am fully persuaded that when I am flat, he will lift me up. When I am discouraged, he will encourage me. When I am bruised and broken and hurting and in pain, he will come and soothe. He will come and embrace. He will come and comfort. He'll come and lift me up. Because the Bible says, if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to my life. I don't need to be coming to a prayer line. Oh, I feel flat. I just need a touch from God. No, God, empower me to reach my unsaved neighbors. Empower me to be more effective to those that are alongside of me at work, in the schoolyard, in the universities, wherever I am. God, empower me. Oh, by golly, I feel flat. Oh, there you are, just lifting me up again. There you are, just encouraging me again, enabling me to get back up and go back into Lystra so that I can keep doing what I'm called to do. It's not warm preaching, is it?
It's okay, Caleb. It's good. <laughs> I am convinced that if my motivation is to be empowered to fulfill the call of God upon my life, and that is to be a blessing to those around me. That is, as Caleb said, to love my neighbor as myself. You know, we look after ourselves pretty well. We do look out for number one. We do really go and get what is rightfully ours, what is our entitlement. We do look out for number one in this world today. But if we looked out for the person alongside of us as much as we looked out for ourselves, or oh, heaven would open above us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We need a theology of suffering. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Why didn't God just kill Alexander? Why didn't he just wipe him off the planet before Paul arrived? Why does he allow people who damage the kingdom of God to even breathe? The oxygen thieves. But Alexander the coppersmith was alive and well and did Paul much harm. We need a theology of suffering. Oh, maybe, I, maybe I've come too early. Alexander, this wouldn't have happened if I'd have listened to the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe I'm not meant to be here doing this. This wouldn't have happened. Alexander wouldn't have been able to do. No, Alexander was an instrument of the devil. And in the midst of all that God is doing, let me tell you, evil will always be present. It'll always be present. But we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, not on the devil. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. I felt good when I read that. I thought even Paul goes through that sort of stuff. No one came with me. Everyone abandoned Do you feel lonely today? You're in good company. Do you feel like you're going through stuff and nobody understands and nobody's standing with you? Nobody's just got any kind of idea or clue about the pain you feel or the suffering you're going through? You're in good company. When I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. What an attitude. What a sweet spirit. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. It's like when everyone else is not there, you will never leave me or forsake me. We have to develop a, an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. If we are going to survive this thing and actually stay the course, if I get sick, I look to Jesus to heal me. I believe in divine healing. But there are times I wonder whether he's looking down going, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I want you to learn to trust me because if I heal you, you'll just keep going on and not even give me another thought. But if you, you just stay the course and draw on my power, you'll be able to do whatever that sickness is stopping you from doing. I'll strengthen you and you'll overcome it. I hope you're getting the spirit of what I'm saying here. The Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. He didn't say the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I could get to the barbecue next Saturday and I really want to go and I don't want to be sick to go to the barbecue. Lord, I really want to go to the barbecue. Can you just heal me? I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. He's up there. I want you to expand the kingdom. But I want to go to the barbecue. I'll witness to somebody if you just heal me so I can go to... Oh, we are so small-minded at times. 
It's just like, God, empower me, strengthen me so that I can shine for you, so that I can be a demonstration of your goodness and your grace. And when people look at me and say, I don't know how you keep going because of what you're carrying and what you're going through and the pain you're feeling, it's like his grace is sufficient for me. You can get through anything when you've got Jesus. And then the bloke next to me gets healed and I don't. Go figure. It's like, God, this is just so unfair. No, no, no. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me and you do your journey that I've called you to. And if I choose to let you suffer a little longer or even all the way through to eternity, one day there'll be every tear wiped away. One day we'll stand in the presence of God. There'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more disease. But until that time, you might get healed, but you might not. We'll, we'll believe with you. We'll pray with you. We'll trust God. We'll expect and declare it over your life. But let's, let's understand there is a theology in the Bible and it's about suffering and we need to learn to rise up and trust the Holy Spirit through whatever storm we are going through you're still very quiet Paul closes that in verse 18 and says yes and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom all glory to God now that doesn't mean you know, well, you know, Paul, Paul will, he will deliver me from every, you know, it says in before, he rescued me from certain death. Well, actually, Paul lost his head on a chopping block when his time was up. Go figure. We need a theology of suffering. You know, it's like, Lord, you can rescue me from this chopping block. You can get me out of here. John the Baptist could have been saved from jail, but Jesus didn't save him. He went to the chopping. We need a theology of suffering. Let's stop focusing on ourselves. I read a thing on Facebook this week. If we focus on the world, we'll get distressed. If we focus inwardly, we'll get depressed. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, I can't remember the punchline, but it was a good one. I was talking very quietly in the house the other day. And Margaret said, why are you talking quietly? I said, Mark Zuckerberg might hear us. She laughed. I laughed. Siri laughed. <laughs> why do we need the Holy Spirit? Some of the older generation are going. <laughs> oh, dear. The band, you can come back. Thanks, guys. I went a lot longer than I said I would, Dan. I hope you hear my heart. I, I hope you do. I, I do believe in divine healing. Believe me. Trust me. God heals. I've seen it. You read the Gospels. Jesus healed people. He touched them and healed them, restored them. Paul healed people. But he left Miletus sick in, he left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Why didn't he heal him? I don't know. But all I know is it's in the word for a reason. Don't get depressed if you're not getting your healing. Just say, God, I need more grace. I need your presence. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your power. And if you heal me, great. But if you don't, I'll get through this because your grace is sufficient for me. I don't think that's undermining faith. I think it's taking scripture in context. By your stripes, we are healed. But when you look at that whole passage in context, it's talking about our spiritual destiny. It's talking about our our relationship with God being healed, being restored. 
But yet James chapter five says, if anyone among you is sick, call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith. Offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. So I'm going to keep believing that too. 